You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara in St. Catharines, Ontario. For more information, please feel free to contact us by visiting our website, harvestniagara.ca. Amen. I invite you to take a seat this morning and turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm chapter 19. Psalm chapter 19. If you don't have a copy of God's Word in your hands, one of the ushers will be more than happy to give you one that you can follow along. If you don't have one at home, take it home with you, and we encourage you to dive in and read it. We've been studying, uh, really, the doctrine of the Word of God over the last three weeks, and we've been coming to the conclusion, hopefully you have, that's the whole point of this series, that this is no ordinary book that we hold in our hands. Amen? This is no ordinary book. There's no section for it in the bookstore. There's no category for it in the library. No equal has been ever written or ever will be. This is a book that stands alone and stands above, and it must stand apart in the lives and hearts of every follower of Jesus Christ. It's a supernatural book that is the game changer for every one of us that takes it for what it is. God's word, God's authority, God's truth. It's a game changer for us. And so we studied last week Psalm uh, chapter 19 and just kind of built on, uh, focused on the truth of what this book is. It's true. And if you turn with me to Psalm chapter 19, verses 7 to 11, if you remember, I'm doing this in a couple different parts, a couple different ways, not like I usually do, but I wanted to hit last week really the importance of how this book is perfect and sure and right and pure and clean and true. And so really hit the doctrine of inerrancy. Well, today we're going to shift gears and build upon all that truth I gave you so you understand how this applies to your life. And really what it comes down to is this book is the eternal game changer for every single heart and soul. We look around and we realize that things need to change, maybe in our lives, maybe in our world, but things need to change. And how do we change? If you've been around long enough, you know that the things that don't make change, that we try to make change with, parliament doesn't change things, does it? We make laws and we think, well, if we make this law, then it's going to change things. And so all laws do is they define the problem. Maybe they put parameters around the issues and they maybe may curb some behaviors like racism and, and hate crimes, but ultimately they don't change the human heart. And we know that no law can make an angry, hateful person kind and loving. Parliament doesn't change things. Programs don't change things. We know that programs can make a difference. Alcohol and addiction struggles can be understood and coping mechanisms can be put in place. But ultimately, ultimately, programs can't crush the craving in an addict to instill in them desires for healthy and holy things. Pills, we go to pills. Pills maybe give us this temporary relief and push the issue out of sight and out of mind. Anxiety can be numbed. But medication ultimately doesn't get to the heart of the problem and give the anxious person peace. What's the game changer then? If it's not parliament, if it's not programs, it's not pills, what's the, the game changer is the word of God. That's what we've been trying to, to get across this whole last three weeks, but we want to really unpack this for you. The game changer is the word of God. Only the word of God can truly transform a human heart as the Holy Spirit enables. And you're just like me. You, we're in the same place. We can't change ourselves. We try harder. You come in here just like me. There's things you want to change. There's things you want to change. There's things that need to change. Maybe your spouse is telling you. And you're looking, you're looking at me like, but I can't do it, Pastor. Guess what? I can't either. How do we change? We change as the Holy Spirit applies the word of God to our hearts and transforms us from the inside out. The power is in the word of God. That's why we need to focus on today. It's not just God's word. It's not just true. It is necessary. It is clear. And it is urgent for us, the application of all these things. As we look at the second part of Psalm 19, I'm going to take the same passage I preached last week and then hit the second part of each of those sentences today. As we look at this, we come to this conclusion right away that that this book is far too important to keep closed in your life. It's far too important to, to just know about this book. We need to know this book in a way that's going to change us. So let me read for you what the scripture says about how this word applies to our hearts and changes us. Start with me at verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect. What's it do? Read it for me. What's it do? It It revives the soul. There's the application. The testimony of the Lord is sure. Looked at that last week. What does it do? It makes wise the the precepts of the Lord are right. What does it do? The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. 
More to be desired are they. More to be desired is this book than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also is the Bible than honey and drippings from the honeycomb. Because moreover by them is your servant warned and in keeping them there is great reward. So I read these things I want you to know today that these are true in your life and my life as we completely buy into the word of God. This is what we can expect from our lives as we buy into the word of God. First thing we can expect is this, my soul will encounter true revival. As I buy into the word of God, my soul will encounter true revival. It revives the soul. It says, I'm just trying to tell you exactly what it's saying here. The law of the Lord is perfect. It's reviving to the soul. It brings revival. It brings refreshment. It brings renewal. Even today, I wonder how many people walked in this, this auditorium today going like, oh man, like man, do I need something to happen within me? I'm not quite sure what it is, but I need, I need revival. I need renewal. I need something within me to stir. I'm either feeling completely dead inside or I'm tired and I've been trying my hardest and doing the right things and I can't just seem to make it happen but something's missing. I want to tell you that revival comes from the word of God. As you get into the word of God and see who God is and what God has for you, you it, revival happens. Revival happens as we get into God's word. Here's what the word revive means. It means to breathe life into or to turn back to breathe life into or to turn back. I'll unpack both of those for you. Simply this, the Bible is absolute, an absolute necessity for both. It is a necessity to breathe life into your soul. The Bible is a necessity for salvation for the sinner. We all know that we can be alive physically but be completely dead spiritually on the inside. You need the Bible, the word of God, to help your heart become alive and be beating with spiritual life. I know many people argue, you know, you don't need the Bible to know about God, but hear me out. Yes, you can know about God by stepping outside of here and looking at creation and going like, wow, where'd the stars and the sun and the moon, where'd this all come from? Clearly, it didn't come from a bang, it had to come from God. So yes, you can know about God that way. And yes, you can, you can know about God as you walk through life and you're like, man, there's gotta be more to life than what I see and what I smell and what I hear and what I touch and what I taste. There's, there's gotta be more to life. There's just something inside that says there's more to life. And yes, you can know about God through those things, but ultimately we need the word of God to help you see the full reality of a God that loves you deeply, so much so that he's willing to send his only son to die on the cross and rescue you from Satan and from hell and rescue you from yourself and your own sinfulness. We need the Bible to spell out for us the full reality of God and Jesus Christ. We can know about God through some of the vague things, but we can't fully know God except through his word. And his word tells us that Jesus didn't just come to make your life better. Believe it or not, he didn't come to make your life better. He came to save your soul and give you brand new life, which in turn changes everything in your life. Romans chapter 10, verses 13 to 17 tell us this. Salvation comes from hearing, and hearing comes from the preaching of the word of God. The word of God is necessary for salvation. It's completely incompatible to have a saved person that doesn't know or care about the word of God. Revival happens as dead souls see Jesus, and the Holy Spirit breathes life into their soul through the word of God. It's salvation for the sinner. It's also renewal for the saint to revive, to turn back, or bring renewal, to return to God with a refocused heart. Every single one of us in this place has at one time been in the place where you just feel that, that something significant has to happen even in your relationship with God. Things are becoming stale and things aren't going the way they should. What do you do? What do you do? Most of us want to try and power over that. And I got to do more. I got to do more service to try and somehow stir up God within me again. I got to do more of this or more of that. Maybe you think I got I to maybe change my city or change my job or change my church or change my small group or change my friend group or change something. But the revival in your heart doesn't come from you changing anything. It comes from you getting into the word of God. It comes from you seeing God for who he truly is and again asking God to, to stir within you, to stir within you what only God can. How do we get revival in our hearts as believers and get out of this stale, mundane place that we sometimes get? We get into the word of God. 
I've tried everything, pastor. I've tried everything. I just can't seem to shake it. I encourage you to lock yourself in your room, grab the word of God, and start praying until God speaks to you and brings life into your soul. The word of God is what revives us. The word of God is what revives us. Even believers have this all backwards. Do you realize that the Bible is everything our soul needs? The Bible is everything our soul needs. As we study the scriptures, it tells us that the Bible is encouragement for the downhearted. Coming here just downhearted today, and you're like, I can't seem to encourage myself. Get in the word of God. The Bible is courage for the fearful. Pastor, you have no idea what I'm fearful. I don't know what tomorrow holds, and I don't know about the whole job scenario. The, the Bible is courage for the fearful. The Bible is assurance for the defeated. Yet I failed again, and I failed again, and I failed again. I can't seem to shake this feeling of not being good enough. Get into God's word, and he'll show you that you are good enough in Jesus Christ. It's energy for the exhausted. It's positivity for the negative. It's perspective for the disillusioned. The Bible is to our souls everything we need it to be. And if you have spent any time in the word of God, you know, that, you know that's true because you have a revival on an ongoing basis. Every day you have a new revival because you're seeing God and experiencing God and knowing God's fullness. The Bible is the only book on the planet that can speak directly and clearly to the human heart. Nobody or nothing else can. You can get a thousand words of encouragement from your friends. You can get the perfect Hallmark card and still nothing compares to hearing a word from God through his word to affect your soul. And it says here in verse seven, the Bible is key for reviving the soul. He's talking about a revitalizing agent for our hearts. That's what the Bible is. And it's not talking about this superficial, like a nasty plunge kind of deal where, you know, the nasty plunge where, where, you know, the person's all hot and sweaty and they just kind of fall backwards and a puddle, hole, puddle opens up and whoosh, whoosh, comes, oh, hey, that was great. Until you run a little more and get hot again. This, this, is, this is more revival as in, as in I was swimming and drowning in the ocean and the lifeguard pulled me out and rescued me and, and my heart had either stopped beating or I was gurgling so much water that I was about to stop beating and the, the lifeguard put their lips on my lips and actually breathed life back into my lungs. This is a revival it's talking about. If you're here today and you've never experienced Jesus Christ, you, your soul is dead and, and what you need is the lifeguard to pull you out and it's not too late because he, God can, through his word, put his lips around yours and breathe new life into your soul. And if you're here today and you're struggling and you're like, man, it feels like I'm gurgling and gargling, I I, I'm gonna die, then, then what you need more than anything else, you need God's word, you need God to come along and through his word put his lips around yours and breathe life again into your barely beating heart. This is what God's word does and this can't come from anywhere else. It doesn't come from theology classes or talking to your Christian friends more about it over coffee. It comes from the word of God. The perfect word of God points us to Jesus who gives life to our souls. I think so many times we as believers, we get into these places and we put this book on the shelf forgetting to realize that this is our only hope. This is our lifeline. And this book in the hard times or in the hard times, it's, it seems that we put... This book becomes, falls down the chain of importance and yet in the hard times, this book should increase in importance in our lives and as hard as it is to get into it when you're down and you're discouraged, this is the book you need to go to and open and never close until God revives your heart, until God revives your heart, until you have the first love of Jesus back in your life, until you see God with fresh eyes, until you once again know the joy of walking with your Savior, this is where it's found. How can I, I can't say it any other way. This is where it's found. This revival is found right here in the word of God. We need to be a people. We have to be a people that, that take this word seriously and, and apply it in our hearts and the hearts of others. Without the word of God, we don't have salvation or any ongoing spiritual life or even revival. That's just point number one. There's four more coming. Let's go. Point number two. When I fully buy into the word of God, here's the second thing that naturally happens. I find out of this world wisdom. When I buy into the word of God, I find out of this world wisdom. Look what it says in the second half of verse seven there. What does it do? It makes wise the simple. I find wisdom. Who in this room does not need wisdom today? 
Who in this room does need a little more wisdom today? It's good. Got a few honest people in here. Step out these doors and the world is chaotic and it's confusing. You stand there like, like, really? You've given me a, a job and a family and a what? What do I do now? And yet the Bible tells us that, that we find wisdom, the simple, that'd be you and I, everybody, it's the simple, find wisdom in the word of God. And I'm not talking wisdom in the sense of it takes like a D student, it makes him a valedictorian. But rather it takes the down-to-earth average people of the world and makes them geniuses in the ways of God and the reality of what life is all about. Wisdom biblically has little to do with intellectual smarts and everything to do with sound judgment, knowing and seeing from God's vantage point in life. And the Bible, the word of God, takes the simple, those who are prone to chase after every philosophy, uh, every philosophy and ideology and make them wise, give them a life firmly rooted in Jesus Christ on God. It's for the simple and it is simple. I just want to say in this point of this, as you look at that word simple, it, it really describes the Bible. The Bible is the theological term. It's, it's full of clarity. It's clear. We can all agree there are some hard things to understand in the scriptures. There's some things that we come across we're like, oh, wow. Let's call a friend for this one. Let's get out a commentary for this one. Yeah, there are those in there, but ultimately the, God wrote the Bible simply in a way that we can clearly understand it, the average Joe of this world. You don't have to have a PhD to figure out the Bible. You don't have to find this secret mystery code somewhere to understand the scriptures. It's simple for the simple to make wise. It's so simple that, G, that God told his people in Deuteronomy 6, he's like, hey, take this word and teach it to your children. Like, get it into them. They can, they can know this. They can understand this. It's not that difficult to understand. Get to the New Testament in the 1 Corinthians 1, 18 to 31, tells that the, the gospel is simple. It's so simple that it stumps the smartest people. Simply this. You and I are sinners. Born that way, we get that. We need a savior, God's holy and Jesus Christ came and he died on the cross to take our sin and our shame and our punishment and our guilt and, and create a bridge for us to have. That's how simple it is. Can't get there but through Jesus and it's so simple yet so profound that the wisest people on this earth miss it because they miss biblical wisdom. The New Testament was written not to theologians and pastors. Who's the New Testament written to? Churches filled with regular people wanting to encounter a radical God. It was written to churches. Here it is. Don't, don't, not give this to the pastor. Give this to the people. Let them read it. It's pretty simple, pretty easy to understand. And within this book, the simple people have wisdom for every single aspect of your lives, of my life, of our lives. That's what this book contains. It contains wisdom for every single aspect of our lives. If it's in your life, guess what? It's in the Bible. If it's in your life, it's in the Bible. I've come up with some broad categories here just to help you understand that the simple things, you're like, oh no, this book's just about faith and Jesus. It doesn't apply to my everyday life. It does. It applies to every aspect of your life. Look at some of these categories I came up with. Here's, here's one. Marriage and family. Oh my goodness, so here's my spouse just a month in and I really don't get this marriage thing. What do I do? Turn to the scriptures. Colossians 3, 18 to 4, 1. Great passage to start. I'm just giving you one passage because I know you guys can't write that fast. And I, I can talk that fast, but I won't. But use these as starting points of like, okay, let's get into this. And let, me, let me find what the scripture says about parents. It talks about parents. So you're a kid and you're like, oh, my parents are driving me crazy. Like, I don't know how to relate to my parents. Perfect. Turn with me to Ephesians 6, 1 to 3. Well, that's really good for the family. What about workplace and my, my fellow employees and my boss or maybe, maybe my, 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 the people that report to me? What do I do? What do I do? 1 Timothy 6, 1 and 2. Life decisions, I have so many decisions passed. The Bible doesn't say what job I'm going to take or all these things. What do I do? James 1, 5, if you lack wisdom, what do you do? You ask God, who will give generously to all without finding fault. Scriptures tell us beyond that that there's some simple questions to ask yourself when you're making decisions. Is it sin? 
it's a yes, that's a clear no. Does it enhance my relationship with God? Will it enhance those around me? Will it bring glory to God's four simple things you can ask yourself? The Bible tells us as we make decisions. The Bible tells us about hard work and the product of hard work. This is a good word for us in our culture today. Hard work, Proverbs 6, 6 to 11. Look through the Proverbs, there's tons on hard work there. Why should I work hard? Why should I get off my lazy, you know what? You do the reading on your own. Choosing friends. Oh, I just can't seem to get good friends. How do you choose good friends? Proverbs again. 12, 26. Neighborhoods, how do I act with my neighbors? First Peter three fifteen. Always be ready to give an account for the hope that you have and do so with gentleness and respect. How to interact with your neighbors about the gospel. Church communities, what's this church thing supposed to be all about? How are we supposed to interact with each other? Acts 2.42, the government even as messed up as ours is. Look who we got in there. How are we supposed to react with that? Well, you do the reading on your own here. Romans 12, 9 to 21. If it's in your life, the Bible speaks to it. I didn't know that. Make the own conclusions in your heart. Bible tells us everything. How to handle opposition, fear, Priorities, how to, how to make a positive contribution. The Bible is all the wisdom I need to navigate through life. Everything you need to navigate through life, guess what? God gave you in the form of a book. It's right here. Here you go, man. You want to you figure it out? Here you go. From God to you. Professor William Lloyd Phelps, one of Yale University's most famous scholars, said this. A knowledge of the Bible without a college, ed- college education is more valuable than a college education without the Bible. One of Yale's most famous scholars, a knowledge of the Bible without a college education is more valuable than a college education without the Bible. God's word, simply put, makes the smart simple and makes the simple smart and the smart simple. God's word makes the simple smart and the smart simple. Must go on. Number three. Beginning of verse eight. The precepts of the Lord are right. I explained that last week, but here's what they do. They rejoice the heart. They bring joy to the heart. When I get into God's word, I find unspeakable joy invades my life. When I get into the word of God, I find unspeakable joy invading my life. This is profound for many of us because we've spent our lives so far trying to find joy. We've jumped off the highest cliff. We've bought the most expensive whatever. We've thought we had the friends that could give us joy, and yet we're still like, I just don't have it. Get a little glimpse of it, but I just don't have it. What brings me joy is the word of God, getting into the word of God, connecting with God that actually brings us joy. You get into the word of God, the natural result is this. It is joy in your soul, lasting joy. Not just a little bit of joy, not just like a glimpse of joy, but lasting joy, the joy that the world can't give and the world can't take away at the same time. So excited about the word of God was Jeremiah that he was really truly trying to eat it. He's like, how do I get this thing into me? And he he goes, your words were found, Jeremiah 15, 16, and I ate them. Was it a physical eating them or a spiritual one? I just get this picture of like, how do I get this inside? And your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. For guess why? For I am called by your name, O Lord, God of hosts. There's rejoicing when we see the truth of the word of God and who we are in God and, and who God is, that we have a God that is real and a God who loves me more than I could ever fathom. And a God who has a plan for my life that extends beyond this life into all of eternity. There is so much joy there. You mean there really is a God and he's not just an abstract guy in the sky. He actually loves me. And he's prepared before the foundation of the earth a plan for my life that culminates in heaven. That's awesome. You know the root word for joy in the Greek is charis or grace. There's so much joy in knowing the grace that God has afforded to each one of us to have his word and open it up and see him and see his design for my life. There's no greater joy than knowing the plan, but get this, also submitting your life to that plan. 
So joy is not just about, no, hey, God has a plan for life. That's awesome. Here's where the joy truly comes, where the precepts of the Lord truly become joy to you as you realize that not only does God have a plan for your life, but the joy comes you submit yourself to that plan, for, to God's plan for your life. The joy comes as we live life, doing life with God, get this, God's way, not ours. A lot of people get that backwards and mixed up, so I just want to clarify for you. The joy is not just in knowing that we have a plan. The joy is getting underneath that plan and living your life by this book. That's where the joy is. That's where the freedom and joy is found. Great illustration of this comes from the 1970s Dallas Cowboys. And I don't use a lot of sports illustrations. Try to stay away from that, but this is a good one. In the 70s, Dallas Cowboys were a dynasty unlike today. Any Dallas Cowboys fans out there? I got, I got one I could heckle first service, No. You're too shy to admit it if you are. That's good. You should be. So they used to be good, the Dallas Cowboys, is what I'm trying to say. In the 70s, they were the dynasty, and they had this quarterback called Roger Staubach that was phenomenal. He was a great quarterback, and, and he could make all the passes. He was a pretty good runner, and, and he led his team to a couple of Super Bowls. And also on that team, the coach was uh, Tom Landry, a football genius in the Football Hall of Fame. And, and things were going well, but the one thing that went Always a struggle on that team is this, this kind of fight between Staubach and Landry. And quarterback, thinking that he's a pretty talented fella and has it all figured out and has led his team to championships, thought he should be the one calling the plays, where Landry, this football genius, whom everyone saw, was this guy just knows, like he's a, he's a mastermind of football, was the one that was actually calling the plays. So there'd be some tension going on behind the scenes. And the only time that the quarterback was allowed to do his own thing as if the play didn't work. And if coach called a pass and he did a run, or the coach called a run, he did a pass, he better, well, be 100% sure that that was the right call. So there's this tension. And yet at the end of the whole dynasty, they, some reporter got these two guys in a room and said, so like, tell us about this dynasty. And, and here's what, here's what uh, the quarterback said. Here's what Roger Staubach said about the whole experience of being coached by Tom Landry and having this dynasty. It was only when I faced up to the issue of obedience and I learned to obey that there was true joy, harmony, fulfillment, and ultimate victory. It's only when I faced up to the issue of obedience that I learned to obey that there was true joy, harmony, fulfillment, and ultimate victory. It's the same scenario with our lives. This, this book, God, the genius, God's a genius of our lives. We get that, right? We think we have it figured out. We think we're pretty good. But you know who the, the mastermind of your life is, the genius of all of life together? It's God himself. And it's only when I get under the authority of the word of God and see that God's the play caller, I just run the play, that I truly find joy in my life. It's only when I submit myself that, that God probably knows my life and me better than I do that I actually find the joy of living out my life in Jesus Christ. So many people today I find take this book and they try, well, here's my life. How do I make this book fit into my life? Instead of here's this book, how do I get my life into this book? There's a huge difference. I, I, I changed my life to get in this book. This book doesn't change to get into my life. You get that, right? That's where the joy is found. In fact, listen to this, John, John 15, 10 and 11. If you keep my commandments, get this, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be complete in you and your joy may be full. Where is your joy full? In living out the commandments of God. Not some of them, not the ones you feel like, but all of them. How many people, maybe even this room, have forfeited the joy that God has given them because, because we refuse to live under the authority of God's word? Maybe you're even here today and you're like, but I, I know I'm supposed to have joy, I just don't have joy. And then you look at your life, you're like, but I'm not living by that. How many people have forfeited joy because they refuse just to, to listen to the coach? Want to run my own play? Want to do my own thing? I think I know better. Can't figure out why this joy thing's not working. I don't talk about Christian. I don't got it. Don't got it. Can't get it. How about try a healthy dose of repentance and align yourself with the word of God? You'll find joy. 
Flip side of that, I've seen so many people know the joy of the Lord in the most dire of circumstances and in the most impossible of human situations. How do I know the joy of the Lord? Because I'm just gonna be committed to living out, re- reading and living out this book, trusting that God has me covered. I'm just gonna be obedient and let the rest fall into place. You know how much joy there is in that? Awesome joy, full joy. As you fully get into God's word and take it as it is, there is unspeakable joy that invades your life. Don't miss out on the joy of the Lord by missing out on the word of God. Number four is this, my life is lit up with truth. Can you see why I put it in two sermons? That would have been a lot to say in one sermon, don't you think? You would have to listen really well. Rejoices the heart, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and altogether righteous. It's pure, it's enlightening the eyes. My life is lit up with truth when I get into God's word. It's enlightening to your eyes, Matthew 6 Helps us understand what this means. The eye, uh, it says in Matthew 6, 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. And if your eye sees light, your whole body sees light. If your eye sees darkness, your whole body sees darkness. And so when you get your eyes set on the word of God and behold the word of God, it in turn lights up your soul and your whole life with the truth of God. And it'll change your life completely, the truth of God. Every one of us needs the light of the truth of God in our lives to live for God in this world. One of the things that uh, I am notorious for in my family is being a bad sleeper. And I'm a bad sleeper at home and I'm a bad sleeper even more so when I'm away. And this happens to me every trip. The joke is, what time is dad gonna wake up in a panic and not know where he is? It's just the way I work. And so what happens to me inevitably at every hotel we go to, I set everything up so I know where everything is. I get a good layout of the room because I know I'm going to wake up in a panic. And I try and have a flashlight right beside me and a, something with lights on so I can see and get re- know where I am. And every time I wake up and get up on the wrong side of the bed, and I'm like, ah, where am I? And that panic, you ever been there? He goes, look, I'm the only one. You ever been there? That panic of like, it's completely black. You have no idea where you are and you're scrambling around. And usually I trip over things. I wake everybody else up in the process. But then when you finally find your way to the light and you flip it on, it's like, ah, everything's good now. And then the whole family's awake and everyone's like, turn the light off. No, I need it on for a few more seconds, please, so I get my bearings and calm down. Isn't the light so amazing in that circumstance, in that situation? It's like totally disoriented, totally fearful, fearful, not knowing what's up and what's down. All of a sudden you flip that light on, it's like, Ah, everything makes sense again. I know exactly where I am. I remember where I put my suitcase and, and there's my wife and there's my kids. Everyone's in order and, and I can go back and go to sleep now and everything can be good because I'm reoriented to the truth of what's really going on. That's the way that God's word works in our lives, in our souls. It's like a switch that reorients everything in our lives to reality from God's perspective. When you flip open the word of God, when you flip open the word of God, everything changes. The lights come on. Everything that didn't make sense becomes obvious. Confusion turns to understanding, panic to calm, and now you can see clearly to navigate through life. That's the power of the word of God. The word of God helps us know what is true and what is false. You can't know that apart from the word of God. You don't determine what is true and false. God's word determines what's true and false. God's word makes it clear what is up and what is down. God's word helps me orient myself to reality. It's not until you get into the word of God that you truly see where you fit in the whole realm of the world, where you fit in the room. You see yourself in relation to who God is. You see yourself in relation to even who you are. You see yourself in relation to who other people are. The light allows you to reorient yourself to God's reality. The light also shows you this. It shows you where all the obstacles are that you might walk through the room without kicking your suitcase and stubbing your toe and tripping over things. It shows you where all the obstacles are that the enemy wants to put in your path. If you go week to week without turning on the light in your soul, guess guess, guess what you're doing? You're floundering around in your heart, in your life, the way that I flounder around in a hotel room. 
And you wonder why it's so hard and why you keep tripping and why life is so frustrating, why you're so confused and so scared and why you don't know where, everything seems to be upside down and, and yet it's simply doing this. Let me encourage you, turn the lights on. Simply turn the lights on. It'll all make sense when you turn the lights on. Not just a little quick, quick. Turn the lights on and live in the light instead of the darkness that you might see God and see God's perspective clearly. The more you neglect the word of God, the darker your soul gets. It's just plain and simple. It's like a dimmer. The days this book is closed, just dimmer, 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 till it's almost black. God will never let you get black. He'll rock you somehow back to the light. Just gets dimmer, 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 dimmer. You know what's far better than letting it get dimmer, 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 dimmer? Turning the lights on. What is the first thing you do in the morning and you get up in your house? What's the first thing you do? Turn your lights on. Do that in your soul on a daily basis and you'll find that you'll have so much more effectiveness living life for the glory of God because the lights are on. I know it's simple. I need reminding of this often so I assume you guys do too. Let me go to number five. The word of God is so necessary It's so simple, and yet it is so urgent at the same time. That is found in this passage as well. Look at verse 10. I find the priceless blessing of God in his word. There's an urgency to what I'm saying. I'm not just saying this that I hope you maybe go home and open up your Bibles and read the word. I'm not just saying so hopefully you'll find Jesus if that works for you. I'm saying it's because there's great urgency that is found in the word of God. There's great blessing that is found in getting into what God says in his word. Verse 10, here's what's the conclusion of this whole little section is. More to be desired are they than gold. Are what? Are God's rules, are God's commands, are God's precepts, is God's word. More desired than gold is the word of God. Even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings from the honeycomb is the word of God because, get this, because moreover by them is your servant warned. And in keeping them, there is great reward. There is warning and there is blessing in God's word. And that's what makes it so awesome. That's what makes it stand out from any other book or magazine or article that you will read. That's what makes this book so worth putting that silly little remote down for a little bit and putting aside the newspaper and whatever else you do in your free time, putting it down and getting this book open and reading it because there is so much blessing in this book, it's unbelievable. This book, it says in the scriptures, is more desirable than gold. Much gold. That was, more than being a millionaire, you would be better off to have this book in the palm of your hands. You're like, give me a break, pastor. If I had a million bucks, I'd buy a thousand of those things and give them out. Or you might miss out the reality of what this book is going to warn you about because you're so busy spending your money. This is more valuable than gold. How, how is this more valuable than gold? It costs like 40 bucks. Because gold can't buy you a picture of God. Because gold can't show you the reality of Jesus Christ. Because gold ultimately, some of you have tried this, gold ultimately can't satisfy the deepest longings of your soul, but God's word can. It's priceless. If we have this, we should be like, man, got it all. Millionaire, wealthy, right here. Got this. Because honestly, it's even more sweet than honey. Sweeter than the honeycomb. Back in this day, honey was the in thing, I guess. It was the, there's nothing sweeter than honey. We're like, honey, give me something better than that. So what's better than honey? Chocolate fondue. It's better than chocolate fondue. It's more desirable than whatever your sweet tooth longs for. It's more desirable than your favorite dessert, which mesmerizes the palate. You know why, again? Because dessert only satisfies the craving for a second until you wake up the next morning. You're like, what am I going to satisfy that craving with today? Some of you are smiling like, yep, we know. This is sweeter to the soul than honey is to the lips. This is your spiritual dessert right here. There's nothing on earth like God's word because of two things this passage says, because one, it warns us, and two, it gives us reward. 
Here's why it's priceless, because there's a warning in here that is good for us. What does this book warn us of? It warns us of the fact that there is an enemy. There's one called Satan, as real as this book is here today. There's one called Satan who is alive and well, and his goal is to come and kill and steal and destroy your life. And if you didn't have the Bible to tell you that, you'd probably think that I'm full of baloney and I'm some crazy guy that sees things, but this is what the Bible tells us, that Satan is real and his desire is, is to kill you, actually, and to deceive you and to trick you into thinking all the things that are wrong are right and all the things that are right are wrong. So the Bible warns us, be on the alert. Don't get sucked into those things. Because every time you choose to buy one of the lies of Satan and sin, you're actually choosing a consequence for yourself. There's, the Bible warns us, consequence of being a child of God and choosing to ignore his commands and living for yourself in sin. Sin will always lead to pain and suffering. That's why God puts warnings in. We always like, oh, I don't want the warnings. I just want the good thing. I don't like the warnings. Just skip the warning passages. Get to the good ones. Really, the warning passages are a blessing to us because it shows us that God loves us enough to warn us of impending danger. Oh, I just love my kids so much. I let them play around the campfire. And they might fall in, but oh, I love them, you know. Ridiculous. Maya, like... If the fire's there, stand here, please, so you don't get burned, because I love you, but I love the, unless she loves the light, and I love, yeah, great, but I love you more than that, because I don't want you to get burned. It's a blessing for my daughter, even though she hates it, and she wants daddy to stand over there so she can stand over here. The warnings are a blessing, just like God's warnings for us, they're a blessing to us. Shows us the misery of choosing sin over God. There's a reason why God says in his word that you are to remain pure until you're married and then stick with the one you marry for life. You know why? Because it just messes up everything in your own soul and a whole bunch of people around you. And the consequences are painful. There's a reason why God says that. Not to steal your joy, but to give you life, actually. Do you realize that God knows the ramifications? Not just in your own heart, but in so many others when there's Violence and murder and rape and conning others. It doesn't just ruin everybody else, it ruins you. Do you know that even the little things that God warns us about, he does because he loves us, things like lying. Just a little white lie. Uh-uh. And cheating. And gossip and unforgiveness. These things, they don't just affect other people. They shatter your own reputation. They shatter the life of Jesus Christ in you. And there's consequences that come from it. God loves us too much to let us be spoiled little brats. He actually disciplines us like every good parent does. And so the warnings are a blessing to us. James McDonald said this, choose to sin, choose to suffer. God puts in the warnings in there so that we could choose to not sin and not suffer, which makes him very happy. But that's not the only warning that's in Scripture. Yeah, there's warnings of sin. There's warnings of consequences. You know the greatest warning in Scripture? The greatest warning in Scripture is this. There's a, a warning for those that choose to disregard God in this life, do their own thing, and then forfeit an eternity with God forever. There's a vast warning in Scripture for people who choose to leave God by the wayside and live their lives fully independent of God. The warning is that there's a heaven, which we all buy into. Oh yeah, we believe in heaven. Yep, yep, we believe in heaven. There's also a hell. There's also a hell that is just as real as heaven, a literal place. That yes, God, his wrath, because he's a holy God and hates sin, will ultimately cause people to be there, but that's not the only reason people are in hell because God's given a solution for that in Jesus. The real reason people go to hell is because they choose I'm gonna forego God in this life and then in the next life, God's well, then I guess I'll allow you to have that same privilege in the next life, which grieves his heart tremendously. And so God warns us. Oh, you think you're gonna get into Jesus tomorrow? What about today? Or you think that you'll bring Jesus out when times get tough or when you need him most or, or when you want him? You think, you think you just use him like a little genie in a bowl? Guess what? At the end of this life, if Jesus is your Lord and your Savior, there is going to be an eternal consequence, and it is a scary one. It's a real one, and I don't want you to fall into this one, but it's hell, it's called. 
So God warns us of this because he loves us. Because he loves us. Whether you believe it or not, it's just true and God's put in his word over and over and over. There's heaven, yes, and there's also hell. Please heed my word that you don't get the latter, not the former. It's not just the warnings that we're all excited about. Yes, we know that God loves us too much to not warn us of the landmines of life and the cliff at the end of the road apart from God. But look what the last part of this says. This is all a blessing. The warnings are a blessing. How many times have you and I thought the warning was not a blessing but a curse and then only to live that anyways and find out, oh, I should have listened to God. It was such a blessing if I just listened to God. And now here I am in this mess. They're blessings, they're blessings. Here's, here's, the, here's the last blessing we see in this passage of the word of God. In the word of God, it says there's great reward in keeping them in living by this book and, and surrendering yourself to this book. There is great reward. Who doesn't like a reward? We all love rewards, don't we? There's none greater than the one that God gives. The word of God is not restrictive, it's freeing. The word of God doesn't hold you back, it releases you to be to the full reward of the Father. It's not a burden, but a blessing. This is the reward that God gives. God gives us blessing and favor. He gives us his presence. He gives us his protection. He gives us his promises. When we choose to walk in the ways of God, we can be sure that God is with us. When we walk in the ways of God, we can be sure that God's favor and God's blessing are upon us, that we're walking through this life hand in hand with our Savior and he's smiling upon our lives. What's the greatest blessing of the Bible? The greatest blessing is that we have, we, have a, we, get, we get God, we see Jesus Christ, we, we get a revived heart, we have wisdom beyond wisdom, we have joy, we have light and we have guidance. We have God's presence and his protection and his promises. Yes, God promises his children that he will be with us always. But the moment we let go of his hand and start walking the other way, that's where the, that's where the pain comes and the consequences come by living under the authority of God's word. We know that there's nothing. We have the presence of God and nothing can hinder us. We know we have the protection of God. God's got our back. God's got our back. Well, why? Because I know I'm living within the ordinances of God. He's got my back. And I know I have the promises of God as well. I can count on everything this book says to be true. If I choose to, to go and sin and live my own way and somehow come back to the promises of God, God's like, well, you, you left the house. Yeah, come back and they're, they're still here. I love you, I'll chase. But, but come back, it's, it's under the umbrella of my protection and my presence and my word that you find all the promises of God. You can't expect the promises of God if you step out from under the umbrella, you're gonna get wet. Back underneath and you have everything that God is and everything that God says he is and everything that God promises he will do. You have the blessing of God which is going to be with you forever. You have a reward coming. It says in John that he's right now busy making that home for you in heaven. He's preparing your place for you in heaven. He's preparing that room for you. Like who cares about a room? I got a room here. This is gonna be a far better room than you have here for sure. Far better room than you've ever had on your greatest vacation is the one that God's preparing for you. This is the greatest reward. He's getting it all set right now for all of his children. He's preparing a place for us that when we get there, Jesus didn't just die on the cross for us. He doesn't just walk us through life. He also escorts us to our new room in heaven. And voila, this is your reward. And the reward is, is that I'm gonna be here with you, hanging out all the time. For those who choose to take the word of God as it is, to see it as God's Authority, God's breathed word to us, to see it as inerrant truth, to allow the word of God to change us into the image of Jesus Christ. Those who love and stick to the word of God, get this, the world will tell you you're losers, but you're not, you're gainers. You're gainers. As you gain the favor and the blessing and the presence and the protection and the promises of God forever. We've studied this for three weeks now. And I'm not naive enough to think that everyone's got it yet. And yet my prayer as your pastor, my prayer for my own heart is this, that we would increasingly have confidence in the word of God. We would increasingly practice and proclaim the word of God without apology, knowing exactly what it is and the difference it makes in our lives. There's no, need, there's no reason for us to be ashamed of this book. 
There's no reason for us to hide it or, or cower our eyes down. We can stand in bold confidence with this book, knowing that we have with this book, we have everything that God is and all that God says. And so I pray that we become a church increasingly that is founded on the word of God, that is changed by the word of God, that sees the reality of God in our lives through his word. Pray increasingly that we become a church that, as the worship team comes, let me leave you with this quote, that as Jonathan Edwards says, that we would be assiduous, passionate, constant in reading the Holy Scriptures knowing that this is the fountain from whence all knowledge in divinity must be derived. Therefore, let, us, let not this treasure lie by you neglected. Let me read that again. Prayer of my heart, our elders, for this whole series on the word of God. May we be assiduous or passionate or constant in reading the Holy Scriptures knowing this is the fountain whence all knowledge and divinity must be derived. Therefore, may we not let this treasure lie by us neglected. We miss out on the word of God, plain and simple. We miss out on a changed life in God. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your amazing grace in our lives. We thank you, Father, for the fact that you sent Jesus Christ to take away that penalty and that punishment of our sin. We thank you, Father, that you gave us your holy word. How would we know about you but through your word? How would we know the plan and path of salvation? How would we know the abundant life we have in Jesus Christ but by your word? How would we know the promise of heaven but by your word? How would we see a clear picture of who you are but by your word? Thank you, God, for your word. Father, I pray you'd instill in every one of us a desire to not just know about your word, but to know your word in a way that's going to change our lives. God, I pray we grow in an appetite, an appetite for your word, that every morning we get up and flick the lights on, not just in our houses, but in our souls. That we might see Jesus and see the plan that you have for us in that day. God, forgive us for the times where we claim to know all these things for the times that we claim to be a part of a church or the first pillar of the word of God where we claim to be Christians who stand on the word of God but we neglect your word. Forgive us, God. And today we ask that you revive our souls in the word of God, in the things of Jesus. Father, I do ask that you even speak clearly to those here that have not yet known a true revival of heart. They are here but they know deep inside that they are not alive, that they are dead. Father, would you in this moment help them see, help them see, God, that only you can revive their soul. Only through Jesus Christ can they have spiritual life in their soul. And God, I pray you'd help them today surrender their lives to Jesus Christ. That they might know the fullness of all the things that we're talking about and what it means to be changed by the word of God. We love you, Lord. We love your word. And we love your people. We're thankful to be here in this country of freedom where we can preach and we can teach and we can grow in Jesus' name. Thank you, God, for all your blessings upon us. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. For more information, please visit our website, harvestniagara.ca.